and sometimes it doesn't. So uh, first of all, uh, I want to thank all of you for being here this morning. And uh, thanks you especially uh, for those who put together the uh, volunteer breakfast for us. Um, because the, um, the Columbus Karma Take Some Choling Center uh, has been around for 40 years. Uh, but, uh, and during that time, we have maintained a steady and continuous program of weekly meditation and weekly classes and, uh, and these meditation sessions that take place here and our Tuesday night chanting. And it's amazing what we've been able to do in the 40 years since this center began. And, uh, but it all happens because of volunteers. And so uh, if you uh, didn't have a chance to uh, look at the volunteer opportunities on the desk upstairs, I'm sure we'll still be able to accommodate you after the talk. Um, I started out as a, uh, as uh, we didn't have greeters when I first started out, uh, but, um, but I started out sort of taking that job and helping new people get oriented to things going on at the center. And then after we started our weekly meditation instruction and our weekly uh, Dharma classes, Back in the 1980s, I helped uh, with those, and then uh, and then I got the bug and decided uh, to change careers after 15 years in professional journalism. You know, I I, I heard about the three-year retreat and I developed the desire to do it, so I did the retreat. And then when I came back from retreat, I asked the retreat master, the founder of our center. Campbell Carter and Bache, well, what would you like for me to do? And he said, well, help out in Columbus, and please, also for the centers that don't have teachers, please travel and teach. And so that's what I've been doing for the last 21 years. And uh, so it's very interesting now uh, that my second career as a Buddhist minister and teacher has now gone on longer than my professional journalism career. <laughs> Um, but uh, I am just really delighted to have been part of this completely and thoroughly amazing Sangha for all of these years. And so um, uh, uh, I want to thank again uh, all of the people who were here and uh, who organized the volunteer breakfast and so forth. And uh, let's see, let me, let me point them out. There's our director, Kim. There she is. She's moving. Hey! You can only see her in, what is it, in profile. Uh, then the assistant director is Michelle. And then uh, treasurer is Steve, and the secretary is Justin, who is also probably moving. Okay. Uh, and uh, they also, uh, and then Eric is our member at large, and so uh, all of them helped to put this together. <clears throat> so thank you to all of the people who helped organize our breakfast and keep us rolling, rolling, rolling. As a matter of fact, uh, this is uh, maybe just just a little bit of, uh, of a side note. Um, Kim and uh, Justin and uh, Michelle and I spent Friday with the Methodists, and it was fun, wasn't it? Yeah, we had yeah, food was good too. Went to Ohio Wesleyan as undercover Buddhists uh, at the 21st annual legal forum of the Ohio West Conference of the United Methodist Church in America, <laughs> and uh, we sat at a table with uh, some Methodist ministers who were extremely surprised to find out that Buddhists had been invited to attend their gathering. So it was kind of, 
It's like, oh yes, we were invited. Really, we were honest. We didn't just you know, we paid and everything, and you know, so we had badges and the whole thing. But we learned a lot. Uh, the volunteers who are the who are the this I guess you could say the backbone of our administration are people who really take uh, into consideration how difficult it is to run a nonprofit organization in the United States. There are regulations, you know. And also in the state of Ohio, which also has regulations. And so I want to thank all, again, all of the volunteers in, on the leadership team, uh, Kim and Michelle and Steve and Justin and Eric and all of the many, many other volunteers who work with them to ensure that our programs happen and uh, that we're all able to feel taken care of here. So thanks again. <laughs> And now, and now, I think we're going to run off and do more things, right, Kim? Oh. <laughs> um, somebody walked up to me today and said, "You guys seem to be doing t uh, ten things at once," and I'm like, "Mm-hmm." So uh, this is part of the reason we have the sign-up sheets, uh, so that we can maybe only do seven things at once. And so, if anybody who feels moved would like to help in any way, uh, from helping uh, make sure that the hot water is uh, continuously filled at the at the tea. Place, uh, where did we go today? Uh, we went up to get tea, we, yeah we went up to get um, uh, tea water at the d during the uh, breakfast this morning, and the kitchen people were lovely. So, so we may need people for that kind of task. Very simple, very easy, but you have to be there and look after things. And then we also need some help with uh, uh, every week. Th there is a puja or a chant meditation in the nursery, and yes. Five, five people sometimes have to put together and bring down the entire cushions and meditation tables and everything. And so anybody who can help to carry those things down, if you see somebody carrying something, find out if they need more help. Um, I'm going to tell one short story and then I'll get into my talk. I apologize for talking about two different topics today, but they believe me, they do come together. Uh, there was a woman uh, who worked at uh, Karma Triana Dharma Chakra, our home monastery. And, uh, and she was a very interesting person. Her name was uh, Sandy. And, uh, and she actually uh, lived uh, uh, on the land for a while. Uh, she did not have a home. And uh, for a while she roomed with friends and then she ended up camping just down the road from Karma Triana Dharma Chakra, our home monastery in Woodstock, New York. Eventually, uh, the folks at KTD Monastery brought her in from the cold, you know. And they gave her a volunteer job, and she was able to live at KTD uh, f until she died. Uh, she had um, a, a major health problem at the end of her life, and uh, she passed away from that. But before that, she was in the hallways of first the old building and then the new building, tidying up and just seeing what needed to be done. And uh, I didn't bring it in with me, but uh, I have a quote from her. Uh, I said, well, Sandy, what is your philosophy of volunteerism, if I might ask? Because everybody, she always seemed to be happy and always seemed to be doing something. It's like, why did she always seem to be happy? She was like taking out the trash. Mm. Why did she always seem to be happy? She was running here and there. Why was she so happy? And so I asked her, well, what's your secret? And she said, uh, the Karmapa said that we should perform meditation in action. She said, so I'm being mindful 
of what needs doing, and I'm doing it. That's my mindfulness practice. I'm looking, does somebody out there need help? Are you, are you carrying something? You need somebody to help you carry that? You got more stuff to carry? She said, if you use your mindfulness, you can become aware of all kinds of little things that need to be done. She said, you see a piece of paper in the hallway? You pick it up and you put it in the trash. She said, it's making the environment more beautiful. Think of it as a, a, as a, a, of a practice of generosity. You're being generous to the environment. You're being generous to all the people who are in the center with you. In a way, she said, you're giving of yourself in a way that's bigger than yourself. And then, of course, then she, of course, quoted her, shall we say, plain-spoken philosophy? She was known as a plain speaker. She said what was on her mind. She said, see it, do it, and don't bellyache about it. <laughs> that was Sandy. That was Sandy. Her, her philosophy was, you see it, your mindfulness makes you aware of something that needs to be done. You see it, you do it, and you don't complain about it. And I know that, that that doesn't cover all the kind of possible scenarios that could happen in volunteerism, in a volunteer organization, because sometimes we need help carrying those cushions. You know what I'm saying? You know, I, I only carried two today, so I had it light. But there were people carrying four cushions, and they could very easily think, I'm carrying four cushions. Why is nobody helping me? You see what I'm saying? We could easily think like that, but Instead, people look at us and we're going, could you help? And that's the, the whole idea, is that we then are generous to them and that they get to help us. You see what I'm saying? So there's a, a form of generosity that happens when you look somebody in the eye and you say, could you help me? That's actually generosity on your part. You give them a chance to step forward and assist. And it also prevents any feeling that you might have of doing something where no one is helping. So it's, a, it's like a combo. We all have to become mindful of what other people are doing and ask them if we can help. And then on the other side, if somebody asks us if they can help, our job is to say, thank you, here. <laughs> you see, it's a two-way street. You get the point? Anyway, so uh, I wanted, uh, I promised the folks uh, on the leadership team that I would talk a little bit about volunteerism. And so that's a, a little bit about volunteerism. I love this, uh, this woman, Sandy, her plain spoken philosophy, see it, do it. Meaning that you look and see with your mindfulness what needs to be done, you do it, and you feel a sense of rejoicing about it. You're rejoicing that you're helping, you're rejoicing that you're asking others to help and so forth. Does anybody have questions about this part before I go on to other things? Comments or thoughts? Yes? I've picked up a lot of litter. Yeah, right. And in the early years of that, I used to kind of grumble about why somebody dropped that. Right, right. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, it is. There is something joyful about making your environment better. The Karmapa has given uh, a, a, a number of teachings on this, on the environment, on beautifying the environment. 
His Holiness, the 17th Jawan Karmapa, Urjan Trinli Dorje, has given so many teachings about envir the environment, protecting the environment and enriching the environment. He even wrote a song about the world called The World. And it's uh, the first line is, um, Our mother, we live and die in your lap. And so he's, uh, through this song, he's encouraging people to, um, he's encouraging people to think of the earth as their mother and to care for her as though they were caring for their own parent. And, uh, and I, I love that idea. So thank you for sharing that. Does anybody else have any other comment about their, uh, about if you want to share a story from your own volunteer service, you can share, or if you have any other things to say about this? Yes. Wow. Oh, I know. It, it really is amazing that uh, the Tibetan teachers who have been sent to the United States have taken on some of this sensibility. And, and uh, at other times, Kemper Rinpoche, uh, that's a beautiful idea that when you took the refuge vow, he said that as part of your refuge commitment that you would help there be clean water. I love that. And another time he asked us to, he asked people to save lives. Meaning if you see animals or people in danger, help them and to the to the extent that you're able. You know, we all can't be heroes, but we can do small things. That's wonderful. Other things that people would like to share about this. Yes. Uh, I have a, while I was uh, I was on the Oh, yeah. You're not allowed to speak. You're not allowed any nonverbal communication. Right. Oh, no. I remember seeing this scorpion on the ground. Uh -huh. There's this woman walking right by the scorpion. Uh oh. And I'm not allowed to speak. speak so I had to run and get a soap dish, put, put it under a soap dish without telling her what I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> Right. 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 Yeah. That's so true, isn't it? Yeah. It's so true. I think that that's, I think uh, that's one, I think that's a wonderful story uh, saving the, saving the woman from the encounter with the scorpion. And yeah, it was, it, that's a good thing. And if that woman had been me, I would have been, I would have broken the vow of silence and just screamed. Wah! So, uh, so I thank you on her behalf. Yeah. <laughs> but it's true, isn't it? You know, it's true, isn't it? Because, uh, when we are mindful of people and their needs, we become more human, I think. When we are mindful of people and their needs, 
then we're there we're we become more human and we share vulnerability with one another like wow i actually would appreciate your help and that's why days like today make me happy because we have this opportunity to say to everyone we need help because uh, the second topic that i'm going to talk about today is the the topic of journey of being on a journey and i'd like to uh, and i think being able to accompany someone on a journey is a very meaningful thing and so that's what i'm going to talk about for the second part of my talk before i but before i go on to the second part of my talk i want to thank everybody for sharing their stories of volunteerism and uh and please uh, consider volunteering even just for uh one very small task we've got lama lodro lamo coming up uh, she's going to be visiting us the second weekend in november there'll be plenty of tasks to do there we'll be moving cushions to uh to the first community church and we'll be moving them there and back here and uh so there'll be a whole team of people needed for this project and it's going to be a short-lived need but it's going to be intensive so if you could make yourself aware and practice your mindfulness and be aware of what's needed that would be super so i just want to say thank you again to to all of you for sharing and helping now the 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 reason uh that i wanted to talk about uh volunteerism first is because i really feel that it it feeds into this idea of being on a journey and so i'm going to start by by saying a short prayer uh in the tibetan language this is the four line refuge prayer i'll say it once uh, if it's a prayer with which you're familiar just feel happy to join on in on the fa la la's and uh and if it's a prayer with which you're unfamiliar uh, join in in your heart and in your mind and think that you dedicate uh, this session to all suffering beings and their attainment of awakening oh sanje chudan so chi chonam la chang chu pardu dani kyap su chi da ji jin so ji pe su nam ki dro la pen shi san je dru pa sho Pollen Savalama Rimboche Tagichi or Peditinchula Cadran Jimbo Gonage Sunte Kusum Tugging a Trip Okay, thank you. Um, again, uh, the topic. uh for today um is uh, it's it's called journey through difficulties uh where all we are is we're walking each other home um this is a a quotation uh from baba ramdas the modern american teacher of hinduism who uh said that when we're on a journey together of awakening uh we can take our time and be friendly and loving with one another because after all we're all just walking each other home and uh whether that home is uh, uh godhood in the uh, in the hindu tradition or if that home is awakening in the buddhist tradition we're all just accompanying each other on a very amazing journey to uh transformation 
Um, I want to start with a, a story about a friend of mine, and then I'll move into the talk itself. By the way, I should double check. Uh, what, is our, what is our stop time today? 11.45? Okay, uh, uh, okay, very good. All right. 12.45, right? Okay, got it. Okay, okay. I just wanted to know, because that way I won't go, to, I won't go over time. Um, I have a friend uh, who has a photograph on her wall of a great moment in her life, her first marathon. She competed in her very first marathon, and she was so proud of this photograph of herself on the wall. She said, you have to see it. And so I went to her office or her room, I forgot which it was, and I looked at this picture, and there she is, laid out stone cold unconscious at the finish line. Yes, she, had, she got past the finish line and passed out completely and was laid out. That is her triumphant picture. And I love, she said she got medical attention after that, uh, but, but I, said, uh, I said to myself, why, is, why was she, she so proud of this picture of herself at this moment that for many people would be a moment of intense embarrassment? We would all be embarrassed to pass out at the, at the, after we crossed the finish line. But the, but the point is, we, she crossed it. There she was, a complete mess, dehydrated, her hair all matted, and, you know, drenched in sweat, her clothing a mess. And she was so happy because she finished. So what the, the moral I take away from that story is that it doesn't matter how you look when it's done, as long as you finish. <laughs> the idea is success has many forms, and it doesn't have to look like what you think it will look like. This is so imp important, because when we're on a journey, we may come to that place where we say, is this journey never going to be over? Will I, will I never get where I'm going? Will I fail and not arrive? There always comes that moment in any long journey. And uh, I had a friend of mine tell me about that moment for her. She was working on her doctorate degree at Ohio State. She was working on her dissertation, that huge, long project where she has to prove her research is meaningful and that she understands it and that it will be helpful to others. She's in the middle of her dissertation and she can't finish it. She's overwhelmed with a feeling of fear of failure. She's afraid she won't finish. She's afraid she won't get her PhD. She's afraid that not getting her PhD, then she won't get the job. Then this, and then this, and then this. And she was paralyzed with the fear of failure. It was at that moment that her husband, who told me this story, came to her and said, if your life was a novel, this part of the novel would be where the hero or heroine thinks he or she cannot do it. And then you turn the page 
and they move on. So don't be frozen with your fear. Turn the page. This is the part of the story where you think you can't do it. You're only at that part of the internal story you're telling yourself about this journey. Now you're going to go to the next step, where you take one step, then another step, then another step to finish your goal. I was so moved by both of these stories because they, they talk about our humanness. We do fear failure. We do fear not completing our task. But if we keep our eyes open and aware, just like in that volunteerism talk I gave you, where if you are mindfully aware, you might find someone who can talk to you and help you and encourage you at that low moment in your life where you think you can't do it. If you look around, there will be others there who have either felt like you or are feeling like you right now, who can reach out and offer you strength and hope so that you can move on. And that is part of the journey that we're all on. Um, I don't know, there are some of you who I know are artists here. And I feel that this is part of the creative journey as well. Some people uh, develop uh, performance anxiety. They're afraid to perform because they're afraid of failing or not doing well. Um, I, I feel your pain. I was six years old when the, they first tried to teach me piano. I gave up. It was too frustrating. I was too young emotionally. I was too emotionally young and too fragile and too perfectionistic. I couldn't play, and so I decided I wouldn't play. And that's my loss. I eventually learned how to sing, so that helped a little bit. But we're all that little kid at one point in our lives who just thinks they can't do it. And so why try? So how do we get through those difficulties? How do we move on to the next page of the story where we actually begin to make the change? We have to be able to see that where we are going and where we are now is essentially a similar place. We can see our goal in our mind's eye and yet also see the extremely small and simple steps we need to take to get to that goal. And that is what the journey of awakening is like. If you think, oh, I, I, there's no way I could ever be a Buddha. Oh, Buddha, that's, he's so amazing. The Bodhisattva Tara, she's so amazing. There's no way I could ever be like that. And then we give up because we just don't even want to try. That doesn't work as well as saying, I think I'm going to sit today. I think I'm going to meditate for five minutes today and take that one little step. And I think that if we can look at it that way, that it's a journey that we are currently on and that we are already on a spiritual journey and that all we have to do is take the next right step in the next right direction and continue to move in the footsteps of the masters of the past who have already taught these things. 
See, there is a path. There is a path. And it's been laid out by those who have gone before. They have already accomplished awakening and they could look back and see where they were when they started. And that if we're lucky, we come into the presence of these teachers who have already been the same way and they can show us what to avoid and what to do in order to accomplish the same goal. And so um, our job, as in the first little talk I gave about volunteerism, is to encourage one another. That's our job. We are always aware of others. I know. I'm always aware of other people. And when I'm full of myself and my selfishness, I think, do they like me? Do they like me? Do they approve of me? Uh, and when I'm not selfish, I think about what do they need? How can I help them? And we, are, we have both of these people with us all the time, the selfish one and the one that wants to be unselfish. We've got both of them with us all the time. And so because we have them all, we're going to hear from them. First one, then the other, first one, then the other, over and over. But because of the path and what our teachers have told us, our teachers have said, don't listen to the selfish one. Listen to the compassionate one. These little helps and hints help us to take the next right step. And that's how we make progress. We remain aware of each other and we remain aware of each other's needs, each other's fears, each other's failings, each other's faults. We remain aware of all of these things and we do our best to accompany the person who is wounded and in pain because they may be at the same place as this woman who was doing her PhD dissertation who thought she couldn't do it. And so they need encouragement. So this is our job, is to continuously bring our strength and hope to others. That's how we make this journey. We help each other. Uh, enlightenment is not, a, is not a solo sport. It's a group effort. His Holiness the Dalai Lama talks about this all the time. He says, if there weren't other people who make you mad, how would you ever learn patience? It's true. Even Shantideva, the great master who lived in the 8th century, he, when he wrote his great treatise, he said, we rely on other sentient beings. Without them, how can we practice generosity? How can we practice patience? How can we practice the six perfect virtues? How can we practice ethics and patience and generosity without other beings? So we need other beings. Yes, some of us do tend to be more hermit-like and do better when we're on our own. That's true. That's human nature. Certain humans need more space and more quiet and more alone time. And then there are others among us who are gregarious to the point of distraction, uh, who uh, do better when we are meditating and working with others. 
And so we have to be kind and loving and understanding of both types of people. And, uh, and so that's our job, to look at one another and keep each other encouraged. Now, there's another reason I'm bringing this up. It's because as we do these practices, we're going to come into conflict from time to time. Kempel Carter Rinpoche, uh, when we were having a rather heated discussion at a KTC board meeting back in the 80s, he said, clink, clink, clink. When the dishes are boxed together and you carry them someplace new, it's clink, clink, clink. In other words, when we're all trying to move somewhere, we may come into conflict. This person may have this idea, this person may have this idea, and those ideas may not agree. But we will keep trying to work together, and that's the job, because we're walking each other home. When people take the, the, um, the, uh, the oath of office, which I think we're the only center at KTC who still uses it, it's old-fashioned. We, we take responsibility for helping people who are our Dharma students. And so all the folks who are in leadership here, they're helping. They're trying their absolute best to do all of these things, to be aware of people in need, to help connect people to the things that they will help them the most, and so forth. So the reason I bring this up is because we're on a journey. Did you guys know? It's not 40, is it 40 days in the desert? I don't remember. How many, 40 years in the desert? Okay. Yeah, we're going to make it quicker. Yeah, we'll be quicker than 40 years in, that, the, uh, that the Israelites wandered in the desert. Uh, it, it, we're, about, uh, we're about halfway through our three-year journey to our new home. Hard to believe, isn't it? Halfway there. And uh, it's, there's going to be more to come. And so I guess I wanted to just thank everybody for all of the generosity, ethics, and patience that they have uh, exercised with all of us over the last 18 months or more as we have worked toward getting a new home for the KTC. You have been wonderful, supportive, amazing, tremendous. And, uh, and all of us owe you a debt of gratitude we could probably never repay. Because of your encouragement, we were able to keep going. It's not easy to do the things that we've had to do. And I've done the least of any of, any of us. I mean, somebody had to talk to the insurance company. Somebody had to work out the list of property lost. Somebody had to talk to the company that uh, t tore down our old building. Somebody had to tirelessly count all of the donations and all of the bills and try to see if them, they matched. Somebody had to start fundraising immediately so that we could pay off that debt that we were incurring because it cost $75,000 to tear down an old building. I mean, wow, right? Somebody had to do all of that. Meanwhile, the same people were also trying to find a permanent space to, for us to be in. 
There, it's nothing short of amazing that we've come this far. And I'm sure that for all of the leadership team, there have been moments when they thought, we can't do this. It's not going to be possible. But Kimball Carter Rinpoche was there to encourage us. And so uh, he was not alone in his encouragement. Karmapa was praying for us. He heard about our fire immediately and started having people pray for us, even over in Asia. And then all of us, us the rank and file members of the center, we were supporting the leadership team as best we could. Now, we're on, uh, we're at this sort of the midway point. The building, uh, we've been told, will cost something like 1.4 or someplace, something like $1.5 million. We don't know. We don't have the final estimate. And we have about a million dollars on hand. How did that happen? Some of it was insurance money, and the rest of it came from wonderful people like you who are helping us walk home. You're helping us provide a new place, and we thank you. Your patience and your support and your encouragement and, yes, picking up and carrying cushions has made it possible for us to get this far. And now we spent last Tuesday evening showing our program and our project to business leaders in Franklinton, in the Franklinton neighborhood, thanks to all the volunteers who made phone calls to the hundred or so people who we invited and who will be making phone calls to the hundred or so people now, saying, would you like to invest in our center and our project? So there's lots going on, lots going on. And the architects, they have more things to show us. I'm sure we'll be seeing more in the days to come. So you'll be seeing and hearing more about all of that. So you could say we're all on a form of retreat. We're all on a form of journey together. We're all on a form of retreat together. I remember doing the three-year retreat. The first six months took forever. And the last two and a half years, gone in an instant. And the idea here is that because we're helping each other so much, we're loving each other so much, we're caring for each other and walking each other home, this is going to be one heck of a journey. I like to quote from my old life as a Catholic. I like to quote St. Catherine of Siena at moments like this. She said, all the way to heaven is heaven. For Jesus said, I am the way. Well, the idea is if we act like the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, and if we do our best to take care of, nurture, love, uplift, encourage one another, and we learn how to deal with all of our various foibles. I've got plenty. I can't wait to tell you about them all. They're coming. I appreciate all of that you have done for us and all you will continue to do because now, after the first part of the talk, you are being aware and looking and seeing what needs to be done. We're all going together. Now, before I take questions, I'll close with one more story. Um, as you know, I do have, um, I do have a, a problem I need to tell you all about. I have a hobby that sometimes is just not under control. I love musical theater, I confess. And I have been to so many musical theater productions this year, I probably need to go into a support group. 
when I rotated off the board of trustees at Karma Triana Dharma Chakra after uh, seven years as the corporate secretary, I was the only English speaker who could type. The Tibetans couldn't type, and or they couldn't speak English. It was a big responsibility, so I took a couple of months off and saw some shows. And I'm sorry I wasn't available for you during the summer. I apologize to each and every one of you for taking some time off. But I learned a couple things. Because like all art forms, musical theater teaches you something. One of my favorite lines is from Les Mis, to love another person is to see the face of God. One of the most beautiful moments in musical theater is that moment near the end of Les Mis. If there is a dry eye in the house, I don't know about it. Um, but my hope is that uh, now refreshed I can dig back in and that uh, I'll be there for you. And I want to thank you for your patience with me and your understanding. And, uh, and you will have to also endure just a little bit more musical theater quoting. The little lecture that I gave at the beginning about the mountain and the person at the bottom of the mountain comes from a musical theater piece called Preludes. And it's about Rachmaninoff and the three-year depression he endured after the failure of his first symphony and before he wrote his famous second piano concerto. And he had three years of deep depression where he felt he was a failure. He felt he couldn't go on. How many of us have been on a long journey, like this journey of building a center, and felt like we couldn't go on? Like no one could help us and we couldn't do it. Well, he was like that for three years. And this piece, this musical theater piece, includes a 10-minute section near the end in which the character who plays Rachmaninoff undergoes hypnosis. And through this hypnotic moment, he is reminded that the man at the top of the mountain and the man at the bottom of the mountain are the same man. When we think we can't do something, we look at the top and think we can't get there. But if we look at our feet, that little patch of dirt in front of us, we can take the first step. And then we'll take the next one. And then we'll take the next one. And then the character says, but how will I know where to go? And the hypnotherapist, this is based on a true story, by the way. This is actually how he overcame his depression, was through hypnotherapy. This is like the late 1800s, early 1900s. This fictional hypnotherapist in the story says, there's a path. That's how you'll know where to go. And it's made of teachers, and it's made of practice, and it's made of pencils and your paper, and it's made of your grandmother, and it's made of everything you have ever learned and everything you have ever been and everything you have ever, ever synthesized within yourself. The success you have had was not accidental. You controlled it. You made it happen. And you can keep moving to, the, to your goal. So 
every now and then art imitates life, and every now and then life imitates art. So I don't know what this talk was about, whether it was life imitating art or art imitating life, but I wanted you to feel encouraged. I will be here with you as you keep moving to the next stage. And I appreciate all of you for being here and helping us all do this together. I, there is no way we could have done it without every single person here. And there is no way we're going to do the next 18 months as we dig into the ground, build, continuously move things back and forth for events. and uh, We're just going to continuously be telling you all about all the amazing and wonderful things. And yes, we still need to raise $500,000, but uh, that'll come in its own time. Uh, so at any rate, um, I guess I, I've talked too much, but I just can't thank you enough for everything you've been and done for us. And we'll do our best to be here for you. So, so thank you. Well, we have a choice. We can sit and meditate now, or if you have comments or curiosities or things you'd like to talk or ask about, any journeys you've been on you'd like to share? Well then, we'll sit and meditate for just a few minutes. Oh, by the way, if you do want me to talk about money, I can talk about it briefly. This is my jar that I keep on my shrine. And I think it's just about ready to go. What do you think, Steve? Is it just about ready? Okay. Okay, well, yeah. And this is how, remember I said every journey is just one little step, one little step, one little step, one little step. It's one little coin, one little coin, one little coin. And there might be about $50 in here. And, uh, and so I put it on my shrine and so that every day I can put some of my pocket change in it. And just like the, the five to 10 minutes of meditation, I promised myself that I'm going to do every day without fail. Um, I, I put a little money in this and I dedicate it to all sentient beings, the long lives of my teachers and, and the, the, the goodness of everyone. And, uh, and so that's something we all can do. If you've got a jar at home, put it on your shrine and put some change in it. And if, uh, and if you want to practice the Dharma, sit, sit every day and just make a promise to yourself that your little step of Dharma today is to just sit and watch your breath for just a few minutes. That's your gift to yourself and to all beings. Just sit with yourself, breathe in, breathe out and make the aspiration that that practice will benefit all sentient beings. So um, I think we'll just sit for a few minutes. Just uh, watch your breath and let your mind rest.
We'll sit quietly for a moment and dedicate the goodness of this session. We dedicate the goodness of this session to all suffering beings. May all beings everywhere be free from suffering, come to happiness, and then to awakening. And coming to awakening, may they uh, benefit all sentient beings endlessly. We mentally dedicate the goodness with this thought in mind. Thanks very much. And uh, if you see a, a member of the volunteer team here, uh, give him a hug.